Hey there, entrepreneurs. Before we jump in, I have an exciting announcement to make. So I am launching right after the new year, a six week small group coaching program, and it is designed to help you release this crappy 2020 and jumpstart your income making potential in 2021. Now, let me just give you the quick skinny on this, but then you can visit the website, which I'll give you the information for too. So this program is perfect for you if you want to confidently kick off 2021 with a plan for success, because who doesn't want to do that? And you'd like to heighten your visibility, set yourself apart from the noise while increasing or diversifying your revenue streams in 2021. And also guys, if you have big dreams and you just need a little bit more support, you do not want to miss this program. I'm really excited about it. I'm really proud about it. We're going to be covering everything from strategic goal setting to, you know, tactical strategies like Facebook groups and podcasting, of course, affiliate partnerships, so much stuff all packed into a six week course at a pretty damn good price. If I do say so myself. So if you would like to learn more about that, visit createhonesty.com slash jumpstart. That is createhonesty.com slash jumpstart. But for now, I am jumping in with the fantastic Greta by Rami. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? Whew, I completely get it. Because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs, and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneurs. I am so excited to welcome Greta Bayrami to the show today. And guys, she has one hell of a story. So you are going to be really excited to hear it. So she is just a little background about her, the CEO and founder of the Golden Group Roofing. So she grew up in Worcester, Mass, which, you know, is up the street for me. So a little shout out to Worcester, um, where she attended Worcester State University. And believe it or not, she had no roots or prior connections to the world of exterior remodeling, but, and this is key, everybody listen up. She recognized a need for quality and implementing technology to expand the customer experience. So she recognized a hole in the marketplace, which is so key to starting a business. So, you know, that's just what she did guys. She went in and she innovated the hell out of it. And, you know, she built an amazing business and also, you know, her excellence and success within the construction industry has gained her local and national attention. She was um, granted the 40 under 40 status for the Worcester business journal. Um, Remodelers magazine recognized her innovation by awarding her the big 50 award in 2019 and their most recent national award, the Biz Award for 2020. She also serves, because she's super amazing, um, as the treasurer of the New England Roofing Contractors Association, president and chair of the National Women in Roofing Massachusetts Council, and the foundation board member she is of Worcester State University. And she's one kick-ass woman, guys. So Greta, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you, Michelle, for having me. I'm excited to talk all things entrepreneurship. I know. I mean, you've got such, you've got such a hell of a story. I mean, everything. I mean, we were talking before this and just the little glimpses that I have into it just are so impressive. So, but I'm going to ask you the question that everybody always asks you, you know, um, why the hell did you pick roofing? <laughs> right. Um, Cause I know I've done my research and at one point you were thinking about a coffee shop and, you know, but it's a very non-traditional area for women to go in. So why, besides what we talked about, did you go into roofing? Well, I mean, at first I went into roofing, let's be real. I mean, I was living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I had no savings whatsoever. And I went into roofing at first because I saw it as a, as a light to really end my suffering. I was just 21 years old. I wasn't making any money. Um, I had a young daughter. Um, I had my daughter my first year of college. So I have a young toddler home and life's tough. And I saw this ad for a roofing company that was hiring. And at that point in time, it sounded really attractive because they wanted to pay me close to $300. And I had never seen money like that in my life. So I took the job um, ad and I answered it. And I ended up working for this company in Nashville, New Hampshire, a little far away from Worcester. But I did the ride every day because, again, it was like new to me. I could do it. Yeah. And at that time, I was really financially driven in those first uh, moments of my introduction to roofing. It's not like I woke up one day and I said, I want to become a roofer. <laughs> You're like, yay, <laughs> roofing, my dream. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yep. Keep going. So, but along the way through it, I really started to develop a skill and a passion for it. And, you know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs like to go out there and say, chase passion, but I think sometimes when you chase skill, passion finds you along the way. Yeah. And that's my story. I chased the skill. I knew I could manage. I knew I could apply what I had learned in the college classroom to this roofing company that was hiring because I needed money to survive. And along the way, this skill led me to a passion because one day sitting at a construction site, um, I said, oh my God, what I did my thesis on Tiramisu Cafe, it's never going to happen, but I could make Tiramisu Cafe a roofing company. I could apply that thesis that I worked my senior year and have this incredible roofing company. And the idea at the moment seemed really fun. And then along the way, it seemed really scary. And then it seemed really stupid, if I may say. <laughs> and then it seemed really discouraging because nobody believed me. Even yeah. your immediate circle begins to tell you that you've lost your mind. And that's the yeah. worst kind of thing. A lot of people may have people that believe in them, but a lot of us don't. And it's tough because you go through these cycles and these emotions and they're complete roller coasters of good days and bad days. But ultimately, I felt that if I didn't try it, I would always say, you know, that could have been me. I could have been that girl with a great roofing company. And so I took a leap of faith. I told my general contractor that I was working with at the time that I would carry out the remainder of our relationship and I would try. And he said that I was crazy because no woman, immigrant, young girl or young woman had ever attempted this before, at least not in Massachusetts. Right. And I told him I wouldn't do us a both a favor if I didn't try it I wouldn't be a good person for him if I didn't try it because this part of my soul this part of my desire would always try to chase you know bringing this roofing company to life yeah I think that's a really interesting point you make because a lot of times people stay trapped um, or they stay in those steady paycheck jobs because they don't want to do a disservice you know they don't want to leave someone hanging but you bring up a really good point that you know you are already doing them a disservice when your head 
because as entrepreneurs, once you get that idea, you don't let it go. It's like, it consumes you. <laughs> um, so I can, I can understand why you Absolutely. were doing him service too. Um, so, I mean, in regards to that, um, yeah. you know, those hard days, right. Because I know there were some, um, especially in a male dominated <laughs> industry, <laughs> I'm sure that you had some rough days. So, I mean, what, what did you do to kind of keep going <laughs> through those? I mean, besides wine, I don't know if you drink, but I would probably, <laughs> but what did you yeah, do? No, I like my wine. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from Europe. So I like my wine. Uh, but, uh, so I mean, there was a lot of um, dark moments, especially, like I said, when your inner circle doesn't believe in you and the people closest to you don't validate, you know, it's very human instinct to go to our parents or sisters or brothers or spouses and say, hey, I got this great idea. Do you love it? Do you love it? And when you don't see it in their face that they love it and they look at you like you're crazy, that right there is, is a hard thing to get over. And then when you start actually doing the work, when you start out there at the job site and you're making no money, because of course, any starting business, it's not that you ever make any profit. I mean, you're just hoping that you know, that check balances out zero, zero, not a negative in front of it. Exactly. Yeah. So when it was every day was zero, zero, you know, that was even harder because now I have to go through this, 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 this cycle of no money and no support. And then on top of that, it was just a male dominated industry that wasn't pretty. There was a lot of profanity at times. There's a lot of disrespect attached on the to me, but just to the whole culture of construction. And that's something that's been there and might continue to be there. That was just something I had to develop thick skin for. That was something that I had to get over. And there was a lot of moments where I would say, look at my friends on social media. And I would say, well, what are, look what they're doing. Like they're having so much fun at their job. They're going out with their coworkers. They're wearing a skirt and heels. And not to say that a skirt and heels is what every woman should wear. But to me at that time, that seemed like I had fallen completely and they had risen to the top. And that was a feeling that was really hard every night to go to sleep with, because I, not only did I feel like a failure to myself, but I felt like a failure to everybody's eyes because everything around me just kept validating how stupid my idea was or how, how far off I was from success to where I really thought I was headed. Like, I felt like I was in a completely different path yeah. to what the one that I had envisioned for myself. Yeah. I mean, because how old were you? Tell the audience, how old were you when you started that company? <laughs> I was 21 years old and I started the company. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can imagine so. the social media kind of FOMO stuff would have hit hard around that age. I mean, because you're, you're exactly right. Like that's the age people get those, get the jobs and they're out with their friends and stuff like that. But I mean, you also had a kid at home, right. And a company, a company to build. So I guess, you know, what was your response to those people when they were like, you're freaking crazy. Yeah. Um, I owned it. I mean, I, I had already been, so if you back up a little bit and you said I had a child at home, um, you know, I don't like to bring that up too much because it's a whole nother podcast and a whole nother series, but I had already failed. Um, I had already failed to so many people. Yeah. This was just another failure. So at this point in time, it was about just accepting it. Like these were my demons that I lived with every day. And, you know, I talk about this often. I say, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, whether it's our business or our personal journeys in life, you know, people talk about facing your demons, but I think we all face our demons every day. Like the fact that we do what we do, the fact that I kept going to the job site, the fact that I didn't give up, I was facing my demons. It was about whether I was going to willing to live with them or not, whether I was going to learn to live with the fact that people were never going to accept me. People were never going to accept a woman in the trades. People were never going to accept a teen mom trying to make it in the Worcester County area, right? So it was about 
it wasn't about facing my demons, about learning to live with them and accept them as part of my identity and being okay with the fact that people were not going to support me. And that was the hardest thing to get over. But once I got over that, and once I found the strength to get over that, everything started to change. Right. Because I think we talk a lot on the podcast about what you can and can't control along your journey. Right. And you have zero control over, you know, people's naysaying and people's, you know, opinion of what you can do, but you did have control over, you know, waking up every morning to prove them wrong. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I just, I love, I love that so much. So tell us some of, you know, some of the more specific kind of things that you've, you've overcome in the journey. Cause you know, you said like those days when you were making no money, right? Like that is a scary fucking thing. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, some, some of those specific instances that you can remember and how you dealt with them. Well, I mean, there's, there's too many, I'll go to just some, I mean, the, the lowest point in my career, I think was when a general contractor was looking for the construction supervisor inside and that happened to be me and he didn't like that very much that it was me and we were in a very big um you know project in the boston suburbs um and and the construction supervisor was really you know shocked that i was there and he kind of questioned me like where's freddie and freddie is my operations manager and also my spouse and i said well i'm here today you know greta's here like i'm i'm, I'm the person yeah, i'm a person he's like yeah. well that can't be right because you're a girl and he's like, I don't want to work with a woman. I just don't want to work with you. And he said this in front of my team. He said this in front of my, my roofers. And, you know, that was the lowest point in my career in terms of disrespect. And I always go back to that moment because even though I was so prepared for the project, even though I had read all the project specs, even though I was there on time with my team, it didn't matter because this gentleman decided to destroy me and pull me apart. But the thing that hurt me the most is that he decided to do it in front of my team. And as a leader, you know, when somebody pulls you apart in front of your team. It's, it's the worst feeling and it takes a long time to overcome. Um, so that was one of, that was the emotional yeah. instance that I went through. And now when you talk about making no money, ugh, I mean, there's so many, I mean, I remember my first job site, I did something wrong where some asphalt sprinkles went in somebody's brand new car. And this person was like, well, yeah, you need to paint my whole new car over. And I was like, okay, how bad can this be? Well, it was pretty bad. It was like $20,000 bad and I had no money. Um, so every day I had to, <laughs> I had to pay this person out of money that I didn't have. And I remember going to sleep every night, you know, but I would never cry. Like I'm not a crier. I, I'm a person that gets really upset. Um, but every day I would watch that number. Like, even though we were negative every day, I would say it's okay. Like one more dollar, as long as we break positive and, in, in, you know, in 20 jobs from now. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of times when the numbers just didn't add up. And there was a lot of times when I would look at the spreadsheet and I was making no money. And primarily a big part of that was because I was undercharging because I was a woman. I was afraid I was going to lose a client. So ultimately I went in already half the price that I should have been. Yeah. So I was already discrediting myself into, so it wasn't their fault that I was making no money. It was completely my fault because I would go into every job bidding, I think like 30, 40% less because I was afraid that people would say no. Um, right. to the fact that I was young, to the fact that I was a woman. So. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, if you're hearing that crap all the time from people like that lovely gentleman that you just described, um, <laughs> you know, if you're hearing that all the time, sometimes it just amplifies those triggers in you to begin with. I mean, and I think there's, I can almost guarantee, not almost, I will guarantee that there is somebody listening to this who has had an experience like you described with that gentleman 
who tore you down because it's a blow your candle out to make his brighter ego trip. Um, so, I mean, how did you just to go back to that too, is how did you build a team that would respect you? Cause that's tricky. You know, it took a, yeah. So in the beginning, you know, I had ultimate respect just because I was a woman. So that was like the flip side of it. People just were nicer to me. They respected me. They were kinder to me, but ultimately that wore off within like the first eight months, construction men, you know, in general, wherever they are, if any of them are listening or if they have construction guys in your household, that wears off pretty quickly. After yeah. that, you got to prove yourself. So I had to prove myself, you know, it was a lot of times where I had to be part of the team. I had to get on the roofs every day. I had to go to the classes. I had to watch and shadow them and watch their every move. And I had to put in the sweat. You know, there was, I did, I have done every aspect of my company's job. You know, I have been the cleaner and I have been everything. And, you know, cleaning four tons of debris manually with other people on team is tough work, you know? So I think I gained their respect through that. When they would see me cleaning every day, they would say, oh my God, look at the Greta. Like, you know, she's cleaning all the shingles with the guys and, you know, she's up here on the roof with us. And, you know, that took a lot of time for them, for them to give me the respect that I deserved, but I knew that I, I didn't deserve it. I had to earn it. And that was right. the hardest thing. You know, sometimes as a leader, as a boss, you think just because you had the innovation, just because you had the money or the startup, you think automatically you're going to get everybody's respect. And that's not necessarily true. You have to deserve it. And you deserve it by showing to your team how worthy you are of that vision, because right. if they're putting the work for your vision, sure, you might have had the money, but eventually you have to show them that you're putting in as much work as they are. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 so, that's such a I'm... valuable point is that, you know, you hear a lot about servant leadership and that there's a lot of truth behind that phrase because you're exactly right. I've seen so many CEOs and, you know, executives that just because they've been granted a title automatically bow down to me. And I'm one of those people with you too, that like, I respect every level of whatever job I go, I've ever been into, you know, whether it's working in a restaurant and bussing the tables and cleaning the stuff or wiping the, you know, doing whatever you need to do. Um, so, I mean, I give you a lot of kudos for doing that. And I imagine, you know, as a woman, you felt that pressure even more. It wasn't just like, oh, I have to prove myself as one of the guys. It was, I have to prove myself while being flawless at it, because if I leave myself open for any critique, they'll go for the jugular on some levels. Right. Absolutely. And that was a, that was a thing too. So I was trying to prove building inspectors. I was trying to prove team members. I was trying to prove the, com- the community. I was trying to prove my family. You know, I got, it got really tiring. There's a lot of points where I was dealing with depression at the time. You know, people don't really talk about that, but I'm very open about it. Uh, you know, as a young entrepreneur, you do face a lot of depression that and it hits you out of nowhere. You have yeah. days where you are super productive days where you wake up at four in the morning and you're firing emails. And then you have days where you don't want to do anything with your business yes. you don't you want to touch it and it, because you do it, it, it's tiring yeah tiring to constantly prove to people that you're worth their respect and it becomes and especially when you have it from all angles and for me it was every single angle it was the people at the bank I had to prove to them I was the people at the the city halls it was the people in the building departments I had to constantly prove to everybody that I was worth at least hearing because sometimes people just don't want to hear you they're saying who are you who's your dad who owned this company before? Oh, you did? You made the company? What yeah. do you know about construction? <laughs> yeah. And they don't believe so. you. Even when you've done, like, I mean, I'm sure you still run up against it now, even though you have done an amazing job of building a company. Do you, do you, I guess that's the question. Do you run up against some of that still now from people not quite believing yes. it? Yes. There's a lot of racism out there still against women in the trades, you know, sexism. I don't know. I would maybe racism is not the right word. Um, 
you know, but, but I am also immigrants. I also face that. Um, and my husband is Latino. So I also face that. Um, there's sometimes some project managers and sometimes some building departments, they don't like that. They know that it exists in the trades, but sometimes they don't see it at the peak of a company leadership board. So they don't necessarily are, I'm not saying, you know, maybe these are just particular people that don't like it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, the towns or, or the cities. Right. It's, it's just a person. It's just a person who's just not accepting of it because they're not used to seeing this face, but the, yeah. but the faces are changing. The yes. company cultures are changing and, and leadership is changing. So they have to be used to it. And that's how I usually approach them. I approach them smiling and saying, look, man, like I get it. You don't sound too often. You want an Albanian girl who's 31 years old telling you how it's going to be done but 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 the matter I earned it I'm here now and like you have to respect me at least you have to listen to me and I'll listen to you and together we'll work for an outcome but it happens all the time sometimes they come off very strong sometimes they come off very dismissive uh but I'm I'm so used to it now so now I just handle everything like oh here we go <laughs> yep, here's uh, another one like get my wine or my coffee like let's go let's start firing and now during COVID we argue over email which is great too because now we get really into it like yeah, <laughs> yeah and I mean you have so, you must number one have like endless amounts of patience on some level <laughs> because I think there if 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 there was any other woman I think maybe not any other woman but many other women may have gone into this and just freaked out and yelled at them every single time, right? Like, is there, and had that chip on their shoulder and moved forward. But I mean, you've done, I mean, I'm sure you've yelled when you needed to yell and asserted your authority when you needed to, but I think it's, it's amazing, you know, that you've, that you've come this far and not killed someone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kidding on the killed someone. Oh, yeah. Over- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, overall, I, overall, I, I am um, a person that likes to use reason. Like I say, I don't argue, I debate. I'm, right. I love debating. I, I have that. I grew up in a, in a family that, you know, that's always debated everything we felt passionate about, because I feel as long as you have passion and you want to debate your point, I'm willing to listen to it. Exactly. Now, if I'm willing to walk out, you know, completely absorbing that opinion, that's, that's subject to whatever happens during the debate. But I, by, I call it, I don't call it an argument with these guys. I just call it a, a good debate, like right. a good debate. Let's go. Let's see who's going to come out at the top and let's, 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 let's set the record for what it is. Right. Because I mean, at some point, I mean, it's roofing. So you have to speak in facts on some things, right? Like from a safety perspective and from a materials <laughs> perspective, like some things can and cannot be debated guys. And when you come in and you know your shit, like you can debate all day, but you know, thank you very much for your feedback and move along, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Um, Absolutely. And, you know, and just, I don't know if I wanted to throw this out there, but one of the hardest things as well has also been the consumer. Yeah. So yeah. The consumer has also been equally hard. And I think it's sad that sometimes in business, this applies to any business, as consumers were used to dealing with a certain face of what's behind that business, mm-hmm. that we almost limit our choices based yeah. on these beliefs that we grew up with, um, which is sad altogether. Um, right. You know, right. So there's that fact. No, I think that's that's a very relevant fact. And I think you have kind of a, multiple different camps on that, I can imagine, where, you know, I remember my friend, um, had founded a construction company with her husband and she was, she was similarly to you, like the face. And I was like, I will, I will take you coming into my house any day versus somebody who comes in and mansplains everything to me. I'm, I'm capable of understanding what needs to be done. Um, but there's been times when for myself, I've handed off a vendor to my husband because I know that will actually get it done versus cause they won't speak to me. Mm. 
in the same manner. Um, mm. So I can completely understand like what you're saying around the consumer and people treating you differently as a woman. But I think there's just so many sides and uh, I'm hoping that you have found the, the consumers that will respect you at this point. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this much that I think this applies to any woman that is in an untraditional role or any male that it's an untraditional yeah. role. Yeah. Um, sometimes I would mute myself from the company. I would have white lies where I would not say I was the owner. I would not have my face up in front on my website. I would be very much in the background because I thought that's what consumers wanted. And for so long, it is what they wanted. But at one point I said to myself, I'd rather have the right people work with me than just have people work with me because right. ultimately how long can I stay saying it's my mom's company, my dad's company? How long can I say it's my husband's company? How long can I say all these things? Who am I lying to? You know, why am I lying? Exactly. So at one point I said, you know, I'm going to put my face on the website. I remember calling my web developer and I was like, no, we're going to put me there. And she's like, are you sure? Because we noticed that the website's ratings would drop oh, when my face was yeah. there. <laughs> But it, yeah, you're exactly right though. I mean, you see that a lot in newer entrepreneurs where they get three, five, whatever years in, and then all of a sudden they say, wait, I don't want to play this fucking game anymore. I want, I want to do it on my terms because I built it. I put the sweat equity into it. Um, and then you automatically end up attracting the people that you're supposed to work Absolutely. with and who are okay with it. Um, so I just, exactly. I like to speak to the, the listeners that aren't as far along as our guests um, for a moment. So to that, to that woman or man, because I don't want this to seem like it's a male bashing podcast because it's not, it's, that's the industry you're in, but there are men who are in non-traditional roles and in other industries. Um, but for anybody who is listening, I mean, we've heard people answer this question of how do you build your resilience muscles? How do you keep going in the day-to-day? -day? How do you wake up with depression and all that stuff? Because that is definitely, I agree, 110% a real thing, um, especially for entrepreneurs. You know, what are your go-to kind of things that help snap you out of it? Do you have any strategies you can share? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'll go back to what I said a little earlier. So it's about living with your flaws and your it's about accepting who you are. I mean, everybody says this, but how many people actually accept who they are yeah. and how many people learn to manipulate that and have it be their story and just be genuinely okay with it. So again, I'll go back to that. It's not about facing your demons. You're already facing them every day. If you're still here and you're listening to this, exactly. it's about living with them and having them be a part of your DNA. Like yeah. I called it like living in the haunted house with the, all the craziness and being okay with it because that's what you are. Your mind is this like haunted house and it has all these things that are working against you. But you got to learn to live with it. So that's it, right? That's the first one right there. And the second one is really about identifying your core and, and really mapping out your own vision. Like for me, that's been the hardest thing, but it's, it's like, who, who am I speaking to and how am I speaking to that person? And how can I wake up every person every day complimenting that person? And also I like to never look right or never look left. I think one of the worst things that I used to do when I was in my early days of entrepreneurship, I would look at everybody else was doing to see if I was doing it correctly yeah. to validate myself. And I, when I stopped looking, like I don't check competitors' websites. I don't, I don't do any of that anymore. I yeah. am so, my business is moving so much faster and I'm doing so much better because I would spend so much of my time researching what other people were doing or try to implement what they were doing into my business thinking was I was going to have the same effect and it never worked because I believe that 
you know, you could eat off the other guy's plate, but eventually he's going to notice and he's going to yeah, exactly. slap your hands. Like, go, oh. or you can yeah. just harvest your own fruits and vegetables and you could create your own plate and eat slowly over time. And that's what I did. I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to look I'm not left. I'm not going to look right. I'm going to own what my flaws are. Yes, I'm an immigrant. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I'm a teen mom. You could hate me and that's okay. Or you can respect me for the resilience that I've had to where I needed to be in life. Or you can respect me for the journey that I've had to get here. So those are the, those are the two things that I've implemented right away that have had a tremendous effect. They might seem like something so small. And then another one that I've implemented, and my husband told me this one time when I was really low, he says, it's all in your mind because he said, as long as I'm aware, I don't think Superman or, you know, Wonder Woman live on earth. So therefore we're all human. Exactly. Somebody doesn't have a superpower, you know? Yeah. So like, if you see somebody out there that's doing something great, they don't have a superpower to do what they're doing. They're human. They're made up of flesh, just like you are. And they have a brain just like you have. So it's just about how you use that and how will you manipulate that and how you lay out success for yourself. And I like to go back to ch child you know, mind, you know, once a child sees something they sort of wanted, but if they don't see it, they never want it. Yeah. So it's like, are you seeing your own success? Are you mapping it out? Because if you're not seeing it, there's no point. You're just, you don't know what's out there. That's why you're so lost every day. So once I started mapping out my success in my mind, I really started to narrow it in and go to it every day. And I use that analogy because my son, like once I showed him a certain playground, he wanted to always go to that one. Then I show him another one. He wants to go to that one. I was like, right. oh, this is exactly what entrepreneurship is like. Like you got to see it, yeah. but you can't see mine. You have to see yours. Yes. And to see yours, you have to speak to yourself and you have to be true to yourself. And once you see it, you'll know how to get there. I know you will. It's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a lot of tears, a lot of crying. And maybe you'll want to quit. And that's okay too. If you want to quit, that's okay as well. You yeah. always have that option to try something else. But the point is you can't look at mine because mine is mine and it cannot be yours. And I think that was the biggest message. And it hit me, I think, on year like five in business. And ever since that, everything has moved so fast. Um, and it's, I'm, it's never stopped. And it's, in, it's incredible how it didn't have anything to do with people. It didn't have anything to do with, with communities. It was just me. And it was in, all in my head. It was like kind of like a freak, watching a freaky movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people equate it to like an out-of-body experience sometimes when you do, when you do achieve success, because then you're dealing with the imposter syndrome and all of the stuff that's like, you don't deserve oh, yeah. this, like, and all that stuff that comes up. But I love how you said, you know, just look at your own. I hear that from clients all the time. Such and such is doing this and I'm not doing this. Such and such is doing this, but I'm failing at this. And I'm like, well, keep your eyes on your own damn paper and look at where you're succeeding and look how you can move yourself forward. Cause the only one you're really competing against is what you did yesterday. That's all you're competing against. Um, yeah, I just absolutely love that. So thank you for sharing that stuff. I'd love to go a little bit more tactical business wise yeah, for you. Um, <laughs> yes. um, just because I'm always preaching to clients and to my community about finding those holes right? Mm -hmm. Looking at the marketplace and identifying the holes because you don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel. You just need to make a better version of it. So <laughs> speak a little bit to our, our folks at home about, you know, how you looked at the, the roofing industry and what are the things that you kind of identified and how you made those better, right? Cause that's, that's setting you apart yeah. from your competition. Absolutely. So this applies to any business, but I think too often people want to get famous and have the likes and love of everybody right whether it's on social media or whether it's a brick and mortar people yeah. are like I want to I want everybody to like me I want to service everybody I want to be I want to have love and likes and subscribers and that's great but 
you can't possibly have everybody. And I know everybody says that, but how many business people go out there and say, you know what, I'm going to create a menu with four items and these four items are going to appeal to these eight buyers and that's okay. Or how many people say, I'm going to open a roofing company and I'm going to have just these two focused, you know, systems and I'm going to apply people to home and whoever is out there is out there and they're going to work with me and not. And that's what I did. I think the best, the first thing I did with Golden Group is that I said, I'm not going to put a roof on everybody's home. I'm going to put a roof on the people's home who understand my vision. And the approach I took here is like a Michelin star approach. I'm a big foodie and I come from a foodie background. <laughs> my husband's family was in the restaurant business. You know, a Michelin star chef or any chef of really good status makes one plate. He doesn't care who likes spice or who doesn't like it, who's lemon or who's pasta. He just makes his dish. And then whoever wants it comes and waits in line to get that dish. And, it's, and, you don't, and you know, Michelin star chefs or any sous chefs don't really take well when somebody tries to pick their dish apart. They don't like that. They don't like somebody coming into their restaurant don't saying, stuff. hey, yeah. you know what, I'll take this, <laughs> but let me switch out everything. They don't really like that. I don't know if you've ever have been in a French restaurant trying to mess up the plate. They'll give you a look like, mm, the chef doesn't approve. But the same philosophy I applied to Golden Group. Why should I let the consumer pick and choose which aspects of my dish they want you know, to eat or be a part of or my journey? where I can just create what I create. I can put out what I put out, but I put it out for a very specific person. And I know exactly who that is. The person I do business with, for example, in my business, I have, I draw them out. Like I know what they look like. I know where they live. I know what they like. I know what they find dear. And you can do that to any business. And I think that's the number one rule you should do is you should like draw out your client, like yeah. pretend it's a movie and a bunch of characters, like who are your characters and then create, the formula to attract those people and only go after those people. But now I'm not saying that I won't do business with anybody other than these people. I'm saying that these are the people I target every day. And if other people come along the way, then that's bonus. But I don't wake up every morning trying to attract every person out there. I go out every morning trying to attract this person that I've identified. And the person I have identified is somebody that values workmanship, somebody that values technology, somebody that values having somebody speak to them at the level that they're spoken to in all other aspects of their life who values ultimate respect and, and that homey feel at the same time. And because I understand that my client's time is busy, busy. They have places to be. They don't want to babysit me, but they want me to get it done for them. They want me to be an extension of them in this project. And that's exactly what I do. But I also don't let them switch it. I don't like people coming into my business and switching up my formula. Right. There's been a lot of times when I want to switch it, but I have to correct myself. And I tell my clients, if I switch to just for you, Michelle might be watching. Yeah. And Michelle knows that's not what I do. And she might now not want to do business with me because she saw me not do my best work. Yeah. And I didn't not do my best work because of me. I didn't do my best work because of you. So technically, I'm, not, I'm losing again. So I tell clients, if you don't want to choose me because you want something to change, I just can't work with you because I'm afraid that's going to impact somebody else looking into my business, not seeing me do my best work. Yeah. And that ultimately can cost me a lot more. And I hope you can respect me that that's the reason I'm saying no. Again, it goes back to that philosophy. It's one dish on the menu. You either love it or you don't. You can't come and change it. I will not change it. It is what it is. You either like it or you love it. You either take it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's about, so I don't know that's, that what you're good at. <laughs> that's what you're good at though. I think, you know, I think you see a lot of entrepreneurs, like you just described, okay. somebody says, well, I, I do like what you offer, but I want to tweak it this way or one. And they, and they're so like, like you said, they want the loves, they want the likes, they want the approval that they're like, yep, I'll tweak that one thing. And that's a slippery slope, especially when it comes to yeah. thank you for describing creating your like key avatar. 
your key customer profile because you created your business around that. And when you adjust the business offering, you're not only adjusting that, you're adjusting the, the audience in which you're marketing it to. So I think yeah. for everybody out there who just wants all women over 35 to buy their product, you might want to get a little bit more specific and <laughs> Absolutely. Un, um, uncompromising about what you are offering, which takes guts, right? Like I'm sure there were moments where you were like, eh, but I really need the money. Should I compromise this? Should I not speak to us a little bit about those moments? Cause I know that's, that's, I hear it all the time. You know, and I really wanted to do it, but I'll go back to this is if your work is exterior to you, meaning your service provider and your website designer, your, your brand, whatever you do is exterior to you. Even if it was not your best work, you don't have control of keeping that hush hush anymore. It's out there for the world to see. And there was moments like that, that really, you know, I really wanted the job, for example, but the client was asking me to do my worst work. They wanted the worst products. They, they wanted to cut corners and they were like, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. I'll find something. And a part of me was like, sure, I could do this. But then somebody could drive by and be like, oh, Golden Group. I thought they were like this incredible company. Like, I didn't know they use the worst products. I didn't know they, they don't do this step that I would normally do. And it was about that. And I think that can go to any business. Sometimes I see it in the restaurant industry where people put up not their best stuff. Yep. Yep. But you don't understand who's watching. You don't understand who's looking. And you could potentially have such a, you know, a bad domino effect of that one bad job or that one bad moment because you chose to lead with the money. And money is really important. But I think ultimately, if you're playing a long game, looking at, that's another tip, by the way, looking at the numbers. Yes. I yes. think entrepreneurs look at the numbers too much and leaders look at the numbers too much and we sort of become number focused, which I, I guess all my IT people in this, in this listening might think I'm crazy. But I think that looking at the numbers too much and too often, um, you lose sight of what, what the hell you're even trying to do. I yeah. tell my team that we look at the numbers in the front in the beginning and we look at the numbers in the end. Yes. The beginning is obviously to bid it. Along the way, sometimes some bad stuff happens, but in the end, we look at it just to look back, but we don't look at the numbers when it's happening. The reason being is because we may, we might make a decision based on the numbers and not based on the client, well, the offering, like what we, what we promised or the integrity that we give. And then, and I think that's very deadly. And I think I've seen it too often in restaurant groups, especially I see it too often in some other service providers where they start looking at the numbers and looking at the numbers while you're in it, you know, while your ship is at sale can get very dangerous because you might start making some calls that might hurt you a lot more, you know, that, than those dips that you were having. Yeah. I mean, I like what you're describing because it's that happy medium because I've either found entrepreneurs who just ignore their numbers and they're like, don't, if I don't look, it doesn't exist. Right. Or, you know, to your point, the other <laughs> side of that is you're, you're so down to the number and you're driven by that revenue number and, you know, make or breaks your entire being by that number. Um, but you're exactly right. I've actually seen that. I've, I don't think you know this, but I have a very extensive restaurant background too. And I've seen that quite a <laughs> bit where, you know, they're like, oh shit, we're over budget or oh shit this. And then they start making, um, fear-based decisions, we'll say, um, along the way to kind of adjust their budget on the fly, which I feel like if you're doing anything on the fly, it's probably not good. Um, but I think that is extremely valuable advice for those out there. And it doesn't mean you have to be looking at it all the time, but I like how you said, you know, look at it at the beginning and then you do a postmortem after it to understand, you know, what could you do better? Right. Exactly. And that's my biggest, that's my biggest, those, those, things that I've mentioned are my biggest tips that I've learned. And, you know, and I know people listening, maybe they're going to adapt them, but I, I think that if you adapt these to your business, 
principles as soon as possible and you really start working on your own craft and really making something that's for you and finding your niche clientele and then really don't don't just be number driven be number driven of course but don't just let that because you're ultimately going to start making some bad decisions and it's going to corrupt with your vision is going to start to shift your vision so it's more number focused and that might be great for some businesses like I said there's a lot of business models that are very number but when you are dealing in service and it's just like roofing just like any other you know mm-hmm. we keep going back to restaurants I don't know but yeah I mean it's a great example you, I mean yeah Keep going. I'm cutting you off because I'm so, so excited about so it. That's what, no, that's what I was going to say is, is then you start shifting. And I tell people that let's take care of the people. Once they said yes, and we've said yes, and we've signed a contract or somebody that's entered our establishment, if we're going back to that restaurant, once somebody that's entered the establishment, let's take care of the person. Yeah. Whatever happens after it could be a lesson um, for our team, could be a lesson on how we deal with it the next time. But let's not do it while we have the person here. Let's not let the experience, the vision, everything we work so hard to be driven about the fact that, oh, we're not, you know, we're not making money on this deal or, you know, this deal is going under. Let's not let, let's not think about that while the customer is here because the customer is in my home now. It's my liability. I'm hosting them. You know, that's how I view every transaction. It's, it's their home, but it's my roof. And when it's my roof, I'm there with them and I'm not going to back out. And it goes back to an old philosophy. Like when you welcome somebody into your home, into your business, they're there now. It's your job to take care of them. You're not going to kick them out. No. You wouldn't do it in your home to your friends. Why would you do it to your clients? Why would you kick your client out or give them your worst spread and treat them bad? They're already right. there. You invited them there. You know, whether you're yeah. a brick and motor with an open sign, you invited that person there. So don't, don't forget that and don't be short-sighted by that. And of course, there's some bad customers out there too, but that's not what, we don't make rules and procedures based on the bad apples. We make exactly. it based on our vision and our purpose and our integrity. Yeah, we call that the uh, 80-20 rule, right? So, I mean, 80% of your people need yeah. to fall into, you know, your mission, your vision, and you're going to have the 20%. But to what you were saying earlier about you could have adjusted prices or, you know, made those adjustments for, you know, somebody in that 20%. And before you know it, the 20 and the 80% flip spots because you're yeah. compromised. You've compromised. And that person tells another person that, well, they cut these corners, they'll cut them for you too and so on and so forth. So it becomes almost a domino effect with that. Um, any kind of last, last things that you want to add as we, as we kind of wrap it up? Cause I mean, you've given so many, so many good, you know, things in here, <laughs> anything else you got? <laughs> oh man. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, right now I'm, I'm going through these growing pains again, because I'm finding a new business and um, I guess uh, we'll, we'll go a little bit about what we were talking in the beginning. It's, um, sometimes when you have your vision, people will come in and they'll give you opinions and they'll try to pull it apart or make it theirs or add to it. And you have to be really careful about how much of that advice you take in every day. I think entrepreneurs, we get in trouble because we love to voice our opinions and our needs and our wants to every person. And we also yep. love to reflect on every person's opinion. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, one year into it, your vision is no longer there. Like you don't even remember what the hell the company yeah. was that you yeah. were trying to create. Yeah. And, and I, I think you have to be careful of that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. My, my company is called create honesty on paper. Like that's our, that's our corporation name for exactly that reason, because so many people, especially I've seen so many women and men too, um, go into a corporate lifestyle or go into kind of satisfying the shoulds of what they should do in their life um, and checking the boxes of people pleasing and taking everyone's advice. And you're exactly right. You come out years down the line and you don't want to wake up one day and be like, wait a minute, this isn't anything that I wanted. And then you get to start from scratch. 
almost to kind of rebuild it. Um, and, you know, I think being, being very careful about who you tell things to as well. Like I'm sure you have figured out in your journey, there are certain people, if you have a kick-ass idea, you just don't tell those people. You tell the people, <laughs> not, to, not the people that will placate you and be like, that's amazing when it's not, but the people who can respect the fact that you can have a vision that they may not understand, but they still should support you, right? Oh, absolutely. And there's a flip side to that. So there's also going to be people that tell you you're doing such a great idea when maybe you're not. So exactly. you want to make sure that you have, I call them Switzerland neutral uh, yeah. mentors. Um, it's hard to find them. And maybe sometimes you, should, you, could, you could reach out. You know, I've found that even for Facebook groups, you can find strangers that are willing to listen, have no, don't want to invest, don't exactly. really care. They're just willing to give you a yes or a no. Because sometimes I also see it a lot is that people voice their opinions to people who could care less and those people agree and then I hear it like a year later and I'm hearing it because they failed I'm hearing it because they lost fifty thousand dollars I'm hearing it yeah. because it was such a horrible idea that they quit their job and I'm like yeah I would have told you it's a horrible idea too why didn't you tell me <laughs> why didn't you come to so, me a year ago yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it, it has two to sides do with of that their key client as well. Like if you're going to come to me and your key avatar is like, again, like a 35 year old stay at home mom with two children who is out of shape. And you're like, let me sell her these socks. Like what the, what the F like, very random. <laughs> but like, you know, like I think it's just, you know, getting really clear on the needs and the problem. Like you said it earlier, when you go in to do a roof, you're an extension of that household. You're an extension of that client because you're solving a problem in which they have. So, you know, if you're not solving that problem for somebody and you're not functioning in a human way as an extension of them, you know, maybe, maybe you do want to reevaluate with somebody who's respectful in that reevaluation. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, just a final thought that came through that, you know, one of the reasons that I've been really successful in my roofing business, because um, since nine years ago, when we opened the company, I have never uh, done a sales approach. And nine years ago, it seemed crazy. Today, it might not seem as crazy because a lot of companies have started to drop their sales approach. Yeah. But I remember, call, I remember contacting the manufacturer, a billion dollar company, and said, I'm not going to do sales like at all. And they were like, what? They're like, Haha, you're never going to make it. Like you're never going to actually sell anything. That's very old I said, no, no, no. Yeah. I said, I'm going to take in an architect or consulting approach. I'm going to go into their home. I'm going to design it. I'm going to build it. And then I'm going to give them the proposal. I'm going to actually email it to them. So they don't feel like I'm breathing down their neck. And I'm going to schedule a second consultation. And if they want to meet with me, a phone call, a coffee shop, somewhere neutral, I'm more than willing. And then I'm going to let them decide. I'm not going to put a time clock on it. Um, maybe a year just to be safe. So just obviously materials can go up in price. Right. Um, and I said, that's it. And they were like, you are crazy. Like this is, you know, this is 2012. People thought I was insane in this approach. Yeah. yeah. They said, There's, you're not going to ask for a sale. You're not going to do a discount. You're not going to put a time clock. Like, how are you going to make the buyer want to buy? And I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to make them want to buy because I'm going to become that thing that they save up for. I'm going to be that something that's, worth investing into and I think in life if we go back to all our purchases I think when you think of luxury car dealers when you think of the amazing restaurant experiences when you think of the clothes that you wear whatever that brand might be the things that you really want to you ultimately you look at them in silence you stock them a little bit and then when you're ready you pull the trigger yeah. and you, or you save up for it mm -hmm. and I wanted I always knew that even in 2012 that that's what I wanted my business model to be I didn't want it to be something that people had regrets towards I wanted to be something that people saved up for and it was and when we led with that is how we got to the success that we are today you know where we are selling over 300 roofs a year we got to this success by never putting a time clock never having a sales approach 
and always custom building everything from scratch from that client. And I always tell people in business, I think the best thing you can do is give the client enough knowledge to make the best decision for themselves. Exactly. Because then it's a, then it's a true partnership. It's not, you haven't tricked them in. You haven't used to your, to your earlier point, like the, the scarcity tactics, which there's something to be said, depending on your industry. Fine. But um, <laughs> I'm a big, maybe, maybe caveat that maybe, um, but I'm, a, I'm a very much aligned with you where I just treat people like people. I don't treat them as I remember I read this book when I was starting out way back that equated the sales cycle to running the bases in a baseball game. Right. And like, mm-hmm. how do you push them through to the next base and make them move? Um, and I never, I, I thought I was a weirdo cause I was reading it and I was like, I don't agree with this. Do I agree that you need to close sales because revenue keeps business alive? Yeah. But how about we just not overcomplicate it and just treat people like people like it's not it's not hard. <laughs> and I think oh, some of the best brands, yeah, and I think you're spot on. I think some of the best brands in the world, that's the technology they have implemented. That's the sales experience they've implemented where it's an egotistic approach on their end because they're pretty much never asking you for the sale, but all they're doing is educating you on why they're a good reason. And you have to ultimately see if they're a good reason for you, whether it's Tesla, whether it's Mercedes-Benz, whether it's you know, going to the, you know, going all out and, and a holiday vacation to the best resort, they're giving you everything you need to make the best decision for you. And I think that's a sales approach that's coming in 2030, 2040, because yeah. today's generation is growing up online. Today's generation is tech savvy and you have to convince them and give them the resources so they can make the best decision for themselves. And if you're, if you're it, that's great. And if you're not, that's also good because you'll move on to the next person. Yeah. But I think the old sales tactics have, are going to disappear. I, if I had to put a I would say 10 years at top, 10 years at top, yeah. every brand will be pretty much pitching themselves almost like a pitch elevator or almost like a, a pitch deck every day to their consumers. And then may the best man or woman win. Yeah. Which on some levels, um, makes me feel really good. <laughs> makes me look forward to the next 10 years. Woo! <laughs> I think it's going to be a good time. Bring it on folks. Um, all right. Well, thank you so Perfect. much for being with us today. Can you tell folks, you know, where they can find you and any sort of promotional stuff you have going on too? Of course. So Greta underscore by Rami. So uh, on, you know, Greta by Rami on Instagram, Facebook. So you can always reach me there. Golden Group Roofing, of course, is my company. Should you want to collaborate in any way, shape or form. But I'm also working on a super cool new platform called rootlessentrepreneur.com. At this point in time, it's not quite live yet. But if you subscribe now, um, just bring your email. We will be able to uh, give you a bunch of free blueprints because we're going to have startup blueprints from local entrepreneurs into these rootless industries that I like to call different and unique. Um, so it's going to be an incredible platform. We're launching uh, spring 2021. So again, rootlessentrepreneur.com, a platform that will help you start your own rootless journey. Yeah. And I mean, guys, oh, if you are exciting. in my, if you're in my surviving entrepreneurship community, which you should be, if you're not, um, <laughs> that link is going to be dropped directly in there when this episode airs, because I think you've heard her journey. You've heard what she's got to offer and the things that she's done. So, you know, this, the concept, and she was speaking to me about it earlier, just seems amazing because imagine if you had a blueprint guys to some of these, to some of these businesses that you want to start and you had some options to look at, to figure out what was the best, the best way to go. Right. So I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I think you are brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. And I'm, so, I'm yeah. just, very grateful you came on today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. One of the things I really want to reiterate about, you know, 
after hearing Greta's story and all of the different, you know, things that she's had to encounter and overcome. And, you know, sometimes a leap of faith is required. Like she said, you know, you just jump in sometimes and then the passion follows the planning. And then, you know, also you begin to step into your own power and into your own confidence as you go through. So there is a little bit of something to fake it till you make it, but also, you know, holding on to that vision, right? Like I have a coach who always says, you know, she says, hold the vision. Right. So what that means is to, no matter who else around you is saying, like, you're out of your friggin' mind. Like if you have the vision, it's yours and it might be yours alone, but that doesn't matter because you are the one executing on it. You are the one moving forward with it. And, you know, you are the one who will succeed with it as well. So hold the vision and also, you know, keep your eyes in your own paper because that's always a good thing to do too, folks. Okay. And on next week's episode, I am so grateful to be welcoming Paul Spears to the show. Now, Paul is the host of the new PL Principles and Leadership in Business podcast series and the founder of the new PL Brand Purpose Institute. You know, and guys, he is just a genuinely delightful human being who brings some really amazing insight to the business world, values-driven business and entrepreneurship, and really showing up and bringing your humanity with you. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. And also just a reminder, if you would like to sign up for my six-week coaching program, you can visit createhonesty.com slash jumpstart. That's createhonesty.com slash jumpstart. And as always, if you love this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, and review, and you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.